You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back to Land and Legacy Podcast here on a bright, hot, sunny day. Bright, hot, day. sunny day here in uh, late August. Um, With rain in the forecast, though, I know we've been complaining about um, hot, dry weather, but there is a little chance, a glimmer of some hope, a little reprieve in the intense heat around here. So, yeah, we're hoping. You know, it's kind of one of those things I've gotten asked quite a bit from some guys that are saying, hey, what's the, uh, have you planted your food plots yet? And I'm like, no. Yeah. And uh, uh, because timing's been off, but the other one being. Um, moisture. <laughs> well, lack of moisture. But Chad and I, we we had a major failure several years ago when we planted food plots. It's happened a couple of times, but one year sticks out in particular. We planted food plots, and we had two days really good rain. Um, where it was like, that's perfect. Seed germinated, blew up, and then it baked it. Yep. And we're like, this is not good. Mm -hmm. This is not good. These little bitty young plants are poking out of ground. They send and it is all that energy from the seed itself, expose themselves to then build roots. But when they expose themselves to get baking it was like hot sun. Almost 100 degree heat yeah. index, very similar to it is now. And I'm yep. like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing yeah. it. I would do it, however, if I had really good, like, thatch that was breaking down. Sure. Um, I would probably go ahead and plant. But right now we're like, ah, just we'll just hold off. Yeah. So. I. I How are you just doing? You had you caught a few more rains than we have down on the farm. A little bit more. Um, starting to see some rows pop. But there's still some areas that um, it, it, it hasn't germinated well. But I have a decent enough thatch to keep ground level shaded. Um, it's coming along. If we get rain this afternoon and tonight, I think we'll be great for at least another week. If we don't get it, I don't have very high hopes. <laughs> yeah. But we we're I was forced in a well, was, situation without the tractor being present. Got a plant when, when uh, the gentleman was able to do so. Yeah. So, Seed was there. We got a half inch right afterwards, but this week has been hot. Oof. There's a thatch load, so we'll 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 see how they fare if they they pull through this if we get this rain um, the next in the next two days. So and once again, we're here in the middle of a late August, looking over a ten day forecast, and tonight and tomorrow, the best chance we have today. There's a seventy eight percent. Get this. 
today in our hometown or my hometown where you live now, there's a 78% chance of 0.05 inches of yeah. rain. Ooh. Tomorrow is a 69% chance of 0.35. Yeah. So it's like there's a pretty good chance of a little dusting of yeah. rain. It'll get, it'll get the surface wet. Yeah. Seems like, especially when it's been so dry, oh. it does not, uh, as long as it's not like a downpour and then just shut off, you'll get a little bit of incorporation yeah. into the ground. But if yeah. it comes in a thunderstorm situation where it's done and over with in 30 minutes, a lot of that stuff runs off. Yeah. And it's just like yeah. a superficial rain. Or it's if a, it does a, stick and like set for a second, it evaporates so mm-hmm. quickly. And, this and much of this, like I look out here across this pasture behind us, and it's monoculture of fescue overgrazed. It's like that's just most. Of, if we got three inches of rain, two of it, two and a half inches of it's running off. Yeah, sheeting, sheeting off. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's where we're at. You know, there's a pile of seed orders that have come through, and woof, we've been trying to send those orders over to Stratton and get them all situated. Hopefully, guys are. Uh, everybody's getting caught up and getting their seed in the ground or getting their seed soon. But I keep getting the question from people is like, is it too late? I feel like it's too late for food plots Negative. right here. And I'm like, I don't know when the shift happened, but when I was growing up, Labor Day was the weekend that everybody planted their fall food mm-hmm. plots. Labor Day. And here we are, and we're not even in September yet. Guys are like, is it too late? No. What happened? And I think I, I think part of that comes to... A lot of people are doing food plots up north where the growing season is much shorter. So, like, they planted spring food plots later than us, Mm -hmm. and they plant fall food plots earlier than us because their window of time, their growing season, is much shorter than ours in the southern Midwest and and, and in the south. Specifically, right now as we're going into fall, their frost date is sooner than than ours. Like, that's what they're fighting against, but... We don't have to worry about that in some situations, 20th, 25th of October. Yeah. And that's why, like, when when guys ask me about planting certain varieties and, like, hey, what do, what do you think about this? I'm like, it's a little bit different than what you're probably expecting. Like, buckwheat is a big one that they that guys keep asking me about. For like, fall planting? No, for spring okay, planting. for spring. Can I plant buckwheat and get me through the summer and then turn around? Like, buckwheat has a very short maturing short. time. And when I planted it here in the southern Midwest, what happens if I plant it mid 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 May or early May? It's, it's done. done in July, yeah. And I still have July and August to to grow weeds, basically. And the what what the the planting space of that yeah. buckwheat was. Yeah, and so which is the hardest time. Like that's when I should have thatch. That's when I should have green plants yep. most, so I can conserve soil moisture and. And so then, you know, that opens the door. If you don't have active plants growing during July and August, you're going to likely get goosegrass, crabgrass, many other uh, problematic species. And then you have to figure out how to get rid of them and then go into fall planting. was like just plant a diverse blend like a heritage blend, something with all these different varieties. So cover the basis, which covers the ground. Yes. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, and then the, and then the, even the early planting. That was kind of the point of that was, so many guys are planting now. You know, they say hot or dry. Plant in July when it comes to turnips, 
And a lot of guys up north are planting their brassicas in July. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is fine. I even plant brassicas in here in July, around here. But that doesn't mean that that's when you plant cereal grains. Correct. That doesn't mean that's when you plant clover. Different species. Yeah. And the, the other thing, too, I don't know if people pay attention. It'd be hard not to see it if you're involved in especially the cattle side of the world. But even lawn care, even food plots, armyworms are horrific. Oh, yeah. In the south this year. Oklahoma. Well, Kansas. I've Kansas seen is terrible. I've seen reports of them in Iowa. Mm-hmm. I've seen reports in them in Missouri, um, Arkansas, Alabama. Yep. I've seen them uh, like different Kentucky. Um, I've seen them all over. And not just like, oh, yeah, they're eating up my food plots. Like they're eating pastures, lawns, eating everything. Right. And that's the other gamble you face when you plant early is if you have a big, beautiful, lush food plot. And along comes. I, I had a picture sent to me two days ago, and and everyone knows what. Take armyworms out of the occasion or out of the situation. There's still insects. There's still aphids. There's still so many different types of insects that are out there that they consume leaves. And yep. no matter what you do, if you're planting and you have an emerging fall food plot. During late summer stress and it's hot and it's dry, but there's fresh new vegetation, guess what? That's the ice cream. Even insects are going to be going to that outside of bad armyworm years. So you need to be expecting that type of – you should see some insect damage a little bit, or you should expect it this time of year. It's going to happen. From a native species like that. Yeah. 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 Um. (laughs) So it's not not too late, though. I mean, we go by the – thought process of four to six weeks before your frost date that gives mm-hmm. enough time to germinate grow get established have that root system to continue growing weather through. dependent yep obviously going you know, going through a couple of times uh you know we've had terrible fall growing seasons the last five years it seems like i know for the last four and that's one thing when we planted the when we promote the legacy blend it's kind of and guys have been a little bit unhappy i'm like dude it didn't rain it doesn't yeah. matter how good the seed is. It doesn't is. matter what, what the seed is. I don't care if you got, uh, what is that, the the, the, the the miracle bean. I don't care if yeah. you got Jim's miracle beans. And it doesn't germinate without rain. It doesn't grow without It doesn't without grow rain. without so, rain. Yeah. Um, and, and, but, you know, there's certain things you can do to ensure success. Not tilling, or, or, not yeah, disking. Improve soil moisture, remove water retention. Weeds, help fight off weeds, keep a thatch on the on the surface yep. of the soil so it holds the moisture in. All those things. Um, but even then, you can still have problems. Yeah, for nothing's, sure. Nothing's given in that aspect. Well, I so. think that, that goes into the, the entire um, theme of land and legacy is there's not one situation where it's like, okay, it's six weeks before the first frost date now we need to plant no everything is situationally based and we need to have and and include these variables into our plan to make sure we have the best outcome and sometimes we have to plant a week or two later sometimes we can bump up a planting date from year to year it's just based on current conditions Mm -hmm. field rain all, all these, all these things work in to to make the best suggestions. Yeah. Uh, one thing before we get jump in, I know we've been trying to keep everybody in the loop. One thing we struggle with, you know, that we're, we're somewhere in 350 podcasts. We've done a pile of them, and one thing that kind of 
we we're so busy sometimes we forget to really tell people about what's going on as far as trips we've been on and where we've been in the world yep. because consulting is that felt like some raindrops right there consulting is really the bread and butter of our of our uh business yep and uh i wanted to share a little bit of a story here um for people because i posted about it and i had several guys message me and text me and ask questions but you know in all of our travels we've been in 30 states now and all uh, pretty much everywhere in between from New York to Texas and Minnesota, North Dakota now to Florida. Um, The one thing that uh, is fun is meeting the people but seeing some of the weird things that they've done to their (laughs) farms. And I was recently um, on a property in Kansas that had something unlike anything I've ever experienced. Um, And so I told people I'd talk about it on the podcast. So I went to a redneck water park and Matt, you know, so people know well, when inquiries come through the yep. website, you get a hold of Matt. When they come through social media, you get a hold of me. And what's kind of the best way we've figured out just to tackle all the messages and emails and things that come in. And um, Matt said he booked this one and to bring swimming trunks because there was a redneck water park. I had no idea what we were getting into. I, did, I wasn't given much detail. I just heard redneck water park. That sounds like fun. Yeah. You might want to be prepared. And well, and it's August, too, so it's going to be hot. Yeah. I knew it was going to be hot, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, when you hear the word redneck, you kind of have an assumption. of like, okay, safety. How safety? much? <laughs> Definitely not OSHA. Comes, OSHA does not come to mind. Yeah. And then Water Park was like, I'm picturing America's Funniest Home videos. Oh, yeah. With a, tr- with a track hoe. Like spinning oh, yeah, around yeah. with a guy holding onto a rope swing and him slowing down and then cramming his skull into to the, the side of the boom. No thanks. I was like, eh, I'm not sure if I even can I do the the little trick. Oops, forgot my swimming trunks. <laughs> uh, but I didn't. I took him anyway, and I'm like, we'll just see what we're getting into. And I can't even. I, I was not even prepared for what I saw. So for some of the listeners, this was a property that had strip mines on it. They were mm-hmm. mining gravel. So um, it's pretty common in Kansas. In places, yeah, where you can find find that. But um, they were mining gravel, and he had, I forget, like four to six different pools, pools, yeah, um, around. And this one pool, the big one, he had set up all kinds of different activities to enjoy right. um, for family and friends. And and so he had, over the course of a couple of years, built um, these massive slip and slides. So one of them was like 500 foot. Goodness. And, you just, and it's dual, so like two, two, two lanes. You can go down, yeah. race. And then from that one, you would swim around the Point Peninsula or walk all the way back. Um, so a multiple acre yeah, lake yeah. here, pond, whatever you call it. Um, and then there was another one that had a slip and slide with a ramp at the end. That was probably, I don't know, 300 foot, something like that. Right. That you would go down and at this ramp, I don't know, you're probably 10 foot off the surface of the water when you hit the ramp. And you're going down this long it hill. Launches <laughs> you. Uh, dude, there was times where... Like one, the first time I went down it. Now you go down on a boogie board and you right. pitch the boogie board off to the side, so you don't land on it and yeah. crush it. But like pitch it or, off to or the crush side yourself. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, 
throw it to the side, and then get your arms up and dive in. No yeah. problem. That sounds I easy. I do that. Uh-uh. When, when do I do hit, your feet want to keep coming no, over no, top no. of you? Like, okay, I go off of it, and you're, uh, you feel like you shot out of a, a cannon. Yeah, yeah. Like, throw the boogie board off, and by the time I throw the boogie board off, kind of wave the arms once uh-huh. or twice to get myself balanced Balance. back out and stick my arms up to dive, I didn't even have enough time to get my arms, like, locked in. So I would hit, and it would, like, rip my arms down. Dang. And it was like, oh, my. I might have tore a rotator cuff doing that. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. I got And do it's it just again. three grown men doing this. Yeah, so it's like yeah. the the wives aren't there to say, are you sure this is a bad right, idea? Right. So you got that one. Then there's another one that's about the same, maybe a little shorter, that launches you out. And it, it this actual slip and slide hit the surface, the edge of the water. And whenever oh, you hit, you, you would like skip out like a flat rock out across the out across that's the lake. That's cool. So there was that one. Then there was another one that had a that he had built this like A-frame telephone pole that went almost I don't know not straight down but felt pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. This is the one I shared the video of on social media. Drop down. It's I don't yeah. know two hundred foot. And then at the end of it, it's another ramp that's more steep than the other one I told you about. Yeah. At the top of it is sixteen foot from the waters. So so you go through. I don't know how far over twenty foot in the air. And you either have to in those few seconds that you're <laughs> waving your arms and kicking your legs, you have to decide: Am I going feet first or diving? Yeah, yeah for sure. And if you made the wrong mistake, it was a humongous. Then belly you're caught fall. somewhere in between, and it's not gonna feel good. <laughs> One of the guys with us did a backbuster on Ooh. Um, it. was just like whoa! It had a and over one of the canals, like a you, rope. You, you realize rope how much bridge. surface tension there is in water. Oh yeah, <laughs> at that yeah. point. Yeah, and so <clears throat> then there's a draw bridge, I think, like a rope mm-hmm. bridge that you walk across, and um, there was also a, a high dive that was like thirty foot. That Dang. had rope swings off of it. How deep was it to this, mate? I, f- I forget what he said. Uh, Twelve or twenty foot somewhere in the deepest mm-hmm. spot. You never. He said only one guy's ever touched the bottom. Oh wow! Um, like going off the jumps yeah. and stuff. But um, the other thing too that was interesting, he had these other slides that were like the the plastic culvert pipes. Yeah, yeah. That you would go down, and they were kind of like had some loops in them, and they would jump out. It was the most insane thing. <laughs> the war, the other part too is I forget what he. I wanted to say he called it a Russian swing. It was like a circus act swing. Yeah. Where it's one of those where you can go all the way around the bar. No, oh, like yeah, 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 yeah. He had one of those. And he's like, you got to try this. I can get you launched way out there. And I was very hesitant because I'm like, you know, I there was a time in my life I was very coordinated. But yeah, it is those, not now. Those years have kind of passed you know, a little bit. Kids and not playing I can, sports. My coordination now revolves around driving fence posts in the ground. That's as much as I go. It yeah. doesn't involve a bat and a ball or a golf ball and golf yes, club. <laughs> exactly. It's not like I could run out and jump over a fence like a hurdle, no yep, problem. No, like there'd be issues. Anymore. And so he did that, and he's like, jump. And I, and I was trying to time it. Trying to time it, trying to time. I mean, I mean, we're swinging pretty good. At this point, I'm like, I'm gonna knock my teeth out on this. Yeah. Thing. I'm gonna jump up and the thing's gonna swing back, and I'm gonna land flat right back where I was. You let fear creep in, Adam. Oh, I did. <laughs> and about the time I pushed off was about the time we hit the peak, and it was going back the other way. Oh. So I went, <laughs> and went almost straight down into the uh, water. That's funny. 
managed to sneak a dive in, but I was like, that's good. I'm done yeah. with that. Had a springboard diving board. Mm-hmm. It was like six foot up there. It was insane. The that worst, cool. the, the worst thing that, that, I mean, I say this, that people would probably love this, but the worst thing for me that I did not do is the one thing I didn't do was a, um, one of those slingshots. He had major bungee cords tied up. You would get in a oh harness. My. You would get in a harness. Telephone poles on the side. No then he would way. drive a four wheeler back, oh. and then Click. launch you, and you just go choo, 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 back and forth on the slingshot. Oh, it wouldn't him, release you. You didn't release you. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I would consider the release game, but I'm not getting whiplash in that no. Joker. No, that sounds like Death's saddle right there. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I could just see the news report: Redneck Water Park. Man dies being Fatal. launched. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shooting towards the lake and overshot it and landed on his head on bank. Yeah, no. Yeah. So Ugh. it was, and you know, he's got all kinds of stuff. But to me, it was like one of those where it's like, you know, I'm sure there's old, old uh, abandoned mines and strip mines. I mean, we worked properties that have that. Yeah, it's just like yep. there's all kinds of cool things you can do to attract the family to the property. And one thing he was talking about doing was. If he knocked out a few little spots, a few mm-hmm. little runways, he could make a mile and a half circle through all the ponds. So basically, oh, wow. you could get jet skis and go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hadn't done it yet. That's Didn't know if too. he was going to do it, but I'm I, I, like, I, man, I, that that right there, that'd be hard. Like during the summer months, that would be pretty stinking fun to enjoy. I just got this message sent. Um, look at all that rain that just blew up. Oh yeah. Chad said it's supposed to be raining at the farm right now. My grandparents, who quite a bit of, I don't know, quite a bit of red mixed in there. Eight miles south of the farm, had over an inch of rain just just today, which I'm like, well, I guess we should have planted. But if I'd have planted, it would have got a tenth of an inch and been done. Uh, And the and (laughs) so this is Jeff. Jeff Willis. Oh, he texts me yesterday. He he says, "Be sure to make." He sent that and then says, "Be sure to make fun of Adam Foe." Quote, waiting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Th- with th- this stuff, this wasn't forecasted. No. Th- mm. There was never been an inch that ever said that was going to happen today. Yeah. That, that That's just luck of the draw at that point. Yep. Um, but but anyhow, yeah, that's it's actually blowing up pretty good. So we're, we're about to get hit there at the house, and it looks like it already got hit too. Cool. Yeah. Um, but it – but – that sounds like a lot of fun. That was that was one of those ones. Um, I had stuff booked. I was like, "Oh, this this is going to be a pretty pretty enjoyable." And you had, and it, it, you knew it was going to be hot as the Dickens out there oh, in, in August and on the prairie and oh, whatnot. So so many seed ticks. Oh really? Eight thirty in the morning, loaded with seed ticks. And you got the whole day to wear them clothes and sweat in them, and yeah, yeah. fun, fun, yeah. fun, fun. It was one the, of those the joys of August consulting. Oh. Um, yeah. <sighs> However. We do want to we do want to bring some some knowledge truth bombs to to the podcast. Um, yeah, I think the title says it all. <laughs> it does, and, and I, I think that if anyone who listens to the podcast long enough, they realize that conventional wisdom or the the general flow. Yeah, we 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 stop there and say, okay, we just ask the questions: Why? 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 Why is it like that? Um, and, and, and I think it is sometimes we do try and reinvent the wheel, but because the wheel isn't perfected and, um, we found 
this to be true in the whole situation of hunting and hunting deer efficiently and effectively. And I, I want I want that to be like the understanding of where this is coming from because there's a lot of people who um, spend a lot of time in the woods, way more than Adam and I do, hunting every single fall, um, and are very successful. However, everyone's time is depends on your limited. level of success. Or what your definition of success? Too. Sure, yeah. but but. But there's a lot of people, and I don't mean that from a hunting standpoint. Like, uh, I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll talk about that in a second too. But 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 the the let's just define the conventional wisdom is the phrase generally is said. What is this, Jeff? Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you can just see the comment. A little tattletale, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a tattletale. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So he. Um, okay, so the, so the conventional wisdom here is. is you can't kill deer on the couch. Yep, yep, yep. And and we're simply saying you can kill deer on the couch. Obviously, that's a figure of speech. We don't yeah. literally mean that. Um, although it's probably some, it's probably been done before. Some guys have done it. <laughs> some yeah. guys guarantee have done it. <laughs> However, um, what we're saying is it's not necessarily about the quantity of time, the number of hunts, the number of hours you're in the tree stand. It's more about the quality of the sits that you have. That's right. And and knowing when to not hunt opposed to knowing when to hunt. Everyone knows if, if you're if you're a seasoned hunter or you're beginning to hunt, you know the days in the field that just conditions line up and it's like, wow, this is gonna be a good day. This is gonna be good movement. Everyone can identify those 10 to 15 degree temperature changes, high pressure situations, the movements of fronts back and forth. When there's changes in, in, the, in the weather, that means, generally speaking, deer are going to move in relation to that. We can all see that. So the days that, that are good to hunt are pretty apparent. I don't think they're question, questioned often. Yep. Um, I, I think... What what happens though is we as outdoorsmen who enjoy time in the field just think I'm going to be successful if I'm there. Or I'm going to have that opportunity, and that's not that's not the the case. I think that many times, if you're not if you're if you're hunting deer too often, you're putting too much pressure in situations. And then if you're not having that success or those observations because you're, you're hunting stands that are, let's say, inferior to your best spots, yep. you get frustrated. And then, therefore, you say, well, I know where I need to be because what you've done is you've eliminated where the deer aren't. And, yep. then, and then it forces you to say, well, now, since I know deer aren't there and I've put pressure on those, now I have to go to my best spots. And you're probably doing that when those best spots aren't heating up because you're you've doing hunted it when, too much when the buck let's just say yeah. that you know i see this a lot where you get the trail cam pictures of the buck on these three cameras you you try to identify bedding from those cameras and say okay yeah. he's coming this way he's going that way in the mornings okay he's probably bedded over in this region i have a few stands in that mm -hmm. pocket of timber okay i'm not seeing deer on my other cameras as frequently and they're only does occasionally i'm trying to kill a buck let's go in after him mm -hmm. and he's nocturnal anyway yeah the chances of you seeing him 
during daylight are very low, but yet you go in there and make that disturbance to where you can forget about seeing him. You push him to other regions of his home range. You make him nocturnal. You bump him over to the neighbor. Yep. Overall, you just lower the overall productiveness of your farm because you got excited because you had a good buck on camera when you could have just let him be, wait until he is moving during daylight. You do catch a cold front, and then you can go in and have a better chance at him. I'm hugely guilty of this. I did this oh, been so there, much as a young that, kid. For sure. Running cameras and be like, okay, you know, we hunted hard on a buck we called Doc back in 2015. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we hunted the same stand several sets in a row. Yeah. There was a reason for that. We had an encounter. We saw the bucks he was hanging with. Like, we were on that deer. Right. But if you remember what happened later in the fall, it wasn't until late gun season when he finally showed back up on the very northern side of the farm. Mm Mm-hmm. And during daylight, during daylight, and yep. during the rut, obviously mm-hmm. it took the rut to get him moved, but it was like he went MIA and then all of a sudden he shows up north side of the farm. Yep. It's like, what in the world? I, so we were spending time applying pressure on different portions of the property. He wasn't even, he wasn't even there. Now it, it almost paid off for right. us, but at Close. the same time, if we didn't own the north side of the farm, we'd have never seen that deer again. Right. And that was a uh, several hundred yard move easy yeah. i mean that was a, that was a 600 whole, yard move probably yeah. and 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 for a lot of properties that can be the difference between on you or off you yeah um and, and so there's times to strike uh there's times where certain properties or certain stands are gonna be the best yeah. It's it's just whether it's topography, um, whether it's the 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 habitat features, the vegetation features there, um, whether it is the fact that it's just a funnel or a travel corridor, they hunt different or better at different times of the year. We have to understand that. Um, and, and a lot of this podcast kind of stems from a, a recent visit. We talked about last week we're in the Northeast, uh, and, and specifically this was a 40-acre parcel. I had this discussion with the landowner because uh, he noticed that one stand in particular that was identified and kind of just jumped out on a map after we toured most of the property uh, that I was excited about. It was a 40-acre parcel. And I kept referencing like this one stand. I was like, okay, yeah, you could hunt here, but at the right time of the year, the same deer that shows up here, he's coming through this other stand, stand A. Yeah. You can hunt and have B, C, D, E, F, G, so on, so on. I said, but honestly, don't go in there to stand A because that's your primo, your top spot, whatever. Don't do that until yep. it's game on because yep. everything, you, you've got 40 acres here, all the deer that are that or moving through this property at some point or another. It's set up so good. The access was so fine that it was just going to happen there. They were going to move through there at some point. So if you have, let's say you have four different deer that you're targeting on the property or, you know, in the area, when they're moving through, it was going to be there consistently. Yeah. It just, yeah. it just was so like, it just, I, I no other way to describe it. It's like, it's not about, it's a balance between I like being in the field, I like taking time, and just honestly being in creation. We can't get away from that. Yeah. But don't get out of the gate sprinting and put pressure on those best spots as season's opening up. If if the 
if that's not the best time to hunt that place. Yeah. I feel like there's two. There's really two groups of people. There's the guys who hunt really hard and get to hunt really hard, and then there's the groups of guys who wish they got to hunt really hard, and they go into the season like, oh, I haven't even hunted yet. I probably won't hunt till late October. And in my opinion, those guys probably have the freshest, easiest to hunt property because if they set it up sure. correctly – just like us, like we've hunt very little early season. They're sparing, very sparing. And and then all of a sudden, October hits and deer are still moving. Deer are still great because we haven't put much pressure on the place. Yep. And that's where I feel like the guys who sit there, especially the dads, the business owners, are like, oh, I just don't know about you know. I've got work going on. I've got kids, whatever going on. Kids, got, soccer, football. Yeah, I've got something going on that I can't, that doesn't allow me to go out September 15th or September 16th and September 19th yep. and September 22nd, September 28th, where you don't get that. And you go out and you're like, oh, I haven't even hunted yet. I don't really know what the deer are doing. Well, if you've cut in the bedding and you've got food plots, we have a pretty good idea what the deer are doing. It's not rocket science at that point. It's yep. predictable based on, again, yep. the a combination of topography and what vegetation plant communities are there. We can we can make a really good educated guess on where we should hunt in those situations. But if you throw high pressure hunting pressure into that equation, well, it muddies the water of that what what could be clearly defined movement based on the habitat and based on topography. It changes that game when you throw pressure into that mix, and, and it's a variable that. That honestly isn't necessary because there are portions of most properties where it is. I, I think everyone could could identify. Let's just say you have ten stands. Someone could say, "Well, those are my three favorite." Right? Oh, I, I, I'm that way. Like I don't remember. Uh, we've got half a dozen or a dozen to twenty stands. Let's just say. Right. I got five that I really like. The rest of them are kind of like meh. We got a chance. But, but let's be really honest. Last year, how many different stands did you hunt because time is, is limited? You had 20 options every single time yeah, you went to, to the four. field. Right, you hunted four of them. Yeah. How frequent, though, is is that in a conversation, um, working with landowners in the field? Okay, how often do you hunt this? I haven't hunted that in years. I haven't yeah. hunted that one in years. And you know what those stands are? Death traps. <laughs> yeah, they are. Because yeah, you haven't been the last time you no checked attention. the straps on that one? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, and, and no shooting lanes trim, no nothing. Yeah. So so in by default, we all know where some of the best stands are. And this is taking the the information of we all have the best I'd stops. I'd be glad if it rained at this point. It it's is hot. It's hot out here. <laughs> you got shorts on. I got pants from church. Oh, yeah, and and the sun is just baking me. But we all know that, okay, we can identify top good quality stands but still, you need to stay out until the right time frame. Yeah. Even with those conversations that everyone knows, don't just default go to your best stand because you've had the best. It's probably a reason in a timing situation that deer frequented that area. Yeah. Then the yeah. most, it's not necessarily equivalent throughout the entire season. So know your times and when to strike and think quality over quantity when it comes to setting up a property and having those tree stands out there. Yeah. You're going to be way more further down the road in a success standpoint by keeping things fresh, undisturbed. And to me, I think early season, unless you know of a deer's pattern, you've made the 
observations. For a lot of guys, they don't have the ability to go and sit on their fields or sit around food plots, sit on observation stands right. pre-season. Yeah. So then when season opens up, they can just jump in. Right. It's like, now that season's open, now let me observe my way in. Yes. And so when you observe your way in, you sit out back away from all the bottlenecks and you try to look in and you really try to just almost do it without ever disturbing anything. And so early season to me is that, like, let's try to observe our way in. Let's yep. try to take it, tiptoe our way into the property. So by the time October 15th hits, deer of shed velvet, they've started really kind of falling into their fall, winter home ranges. Yep. And we have the better idea of where to hunt and how to get there rather than just jumping right into the deep end right out of the gate. Right. Out. Well, it honestly, it kind of reminds me last year was the first year on – uh, Elise, I yeah. had Seth's information um, that he had hunted, but it wasn't a property that he hunted and frequented a lot until until a certain time of the year yeah. when the property just blew up. So my approach last year was, and it's a little bit limited access, but anyhow, started from kind of the north, and I made three moves inward to the property. Finally, 1st of November is when that last move happened, but it was a staggered... Okay, I, I can, I'm going to advance, let's say, 100 more yards. Here, yeah. Here's another here's another 80 yards and got me to be able to see, okay, truthfully, I need to move one more time, 80 yards, and that's the point where it's going to happen at. And that's, that's what did happen. Yeah. Everything that, you know, needed to see, needed to be able to cover with a, with a bow during archery and then with the gun could happen right there. But it was not until the point of, okay, I feel like I've observed enough and confident enough that when these conditions arise during this time of the year, I'll be in that tree, but not until then. You and I just aren't living right, my friend. What? I'm watching the radar, and there was a big yellow glob right to the farm, and, and you know, it's kind of like a heartbeat. It's like boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, decreasing, yeah, and, and it goes... <laughs> Sucked up, up and then went right north, right past the farm. We got a little bit of rain, but could have... It looked like more. it was going to dump a lot more. Well, then I'm know. watching yours. Don't watch it. Same Don't thing. Me. You got green, 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 yellow, yellow, yellow. <laughs> and it just kind of went. Fizzled. Just skirted right by you. Darn. Yeah. Well. So. Oh, well. We'll catch maybe, one sooner maybe, or later. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, anyway. Yeah, I think for overall, though, early season is one of those where it's like, it's great the season will be opening up, but it's also... I mean, don't fret that you can't get out there. Yeah, yeah. Don't get out there and get overly ambitious. And ultimately, don't blow out your good sets. It's like right. we have sets like the tree, notorious for being a great rut set. We don't ever hunt it early season. Mm -mm. So, uh, and anyway. and that's an area this that we're logging wise. It's not really happening logging wise. Yeah. It probably would be a great option to even go to now, but it's. You're Wind not gonna will do that. Swirl, it'll yeah. be a nightmare. Not not yeah. not even gonna do it. It's not worth it. So there's a lot of a lot of variables that go into these decisions, conversations and whatnot, but essentially don't be the guy who sprints out of the gate if you're looking for long term success. I know some places don't open up till August one. I mean, excuse me, October one, um, and then they're done January one. So your season's a little bit shorter. Compared to uh, early September, mid-January, late-January finish. But there still is time. Quality 
versus quantity sits is how you get it done. Yep. All right, guys. Appreciate you joining us this week. Um, what else was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> I was oh. going to send a reminder of something, but I totally forgot what I was going to tell him to do. Oh, there's some more hunts coming on to the mm-hmm. YouTube channel in the coming weeks, yep. um, the coming months, and, and some additional content. So Just hopefully check this that fall out. we send out more and more videos on, on our YouTube. So search Land and Legacy on YouTube. Uh, guys, appreciate it. We'll catch you next week. Yep. See ya. <laughs>